0: Good morning, it's good to see the presence of all that are here this morning. We have quite a few that are out traveling, and we pray that their journey is safe and they'll return back to us. We appreciate the prayers of the morning on our behalf, and we pray that you will be uplifted this morning by being here. This morning we want to talk just a few minutes about the importance of water. We're not going to get into the scientific realm too deep, but uh, we're going to learn what the Lord has to tell us about water. You know, when God created the earth, the heavens and the earth, water was the first essential element that God created. In Genesis chapter 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And then he s- said the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Later in that chapter, he divided the waters and brought up dry land. And so waters was, water was the first element that was essential in the creation. And today, that, that element is still probably the most essential element Thing that we have. Matter of fact, to the human, it's very essential because to the human, we're made up of 65% water. And so if you were to dehydrate the human body, you would not exist. (laughs) You're 65% water. The things that are around you, water is essential in every, most everything that you see and everything that you do. And so it is a primary element. And God created that first and made it necessary for the human survival. As we look out among us into our environment, we have oceans that are full of water. And there are campaigns today that save save the water because we're polluting the water. Save the lakes that are full of water. Save the rivers that are full of water. And yes, the clouds are comprised of water. The rain that we have seen uh, is, is this water that this essential element that God created in the very beginning and so water is necessary for our survival now then while there are many things that contribute to our survival such as food and some of those elements water remains the most important one and God placed water between life and death that's what stands between life and death uh, a lot of times we in a As we go through our day, we may get dehydrated. And when you get dehydrated, a lot of things start taking place and you can't think right. And maybe uh, your blood pressure goes up and you begin to get sick because you're dehydrated. In other words, you need water. And the animals are that way and the plants are that way. And so water is necessary. uh, for. It's between life and death. God placed it there. Now then, if... You notice the desert as it's dry and parched. We go out into the desert. We would take water with us. You go down into the into the Paludura Canyon during the summer, and the number one warning and advice that you're given is that you need to take water when you go hiking. Don't go without water because it could stand between your life and your death. Water is important, and Jesus talked about this importance of water when he talked about the sower and the seed, and he talked about how the sower carries the seed, and he tosses it out onto fertile ground, and he tosses it into the thorns, and then he mentions tossing some of the seed. We'll see if we can't get this to work. In Luke chapter 8, he said, some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And so even Jesus confirmed to us that principle that the human needs water, that plants need water, that water stands between life and death. Now, there are some animals that can go longer with less water. There are some plants that can survive on very little water. You take in that desert scene that we saw there, there were some that were dried up and burned, but then we go to some of the desert areas and there's cactus that soak up that water during the rainy season, and they use that as, as the year goes along. And so some may survive with less water than others, but water is essential. It is between life and death. If you go to the hospital, they're going to check to see if you're dehydrated. And then if you are, they're going to give you moisture. They're going to give you IV uh, to, to give you back that, that water in your body. Because it's between life and death, and God placed it there. Now then, a merciful God has set in place this law of of life and death and this need for this essential element of water. If we have a person go off into the desert that doesn't take water, we don't blame God for that. We say that person didn't carry water with them. We don't say, well, how could a God allow that person to die in that desert with no water? We say, that person didn't carry water. And we can say that because it's a law of nature. It's a law that God put in place. We need water. And it's important, and God put it there for a reason. Water become, is, uh, God put water between thirst and satisfaction. I don't know if you, any, any of you have been thirsty or not. I, I was thinking about this and I think about last week how the kids would come in and out and they'd go outside and play in the heat and you know where they would, when they came in, they went to the water fountain. They drove to the water fountain. Now I'm going to tell you something. <clears throat> I, I personally don't, don't believe Amarillo water tastes very good. It's hard enough to get kids to eat broccoli but they'll go to a water fountain with bad tasting water. Why do they do that? Because they're thirsty. There is, a, there is a, something that God built into us that says you need water. Thirst is what tells us that we need more water. And when you get thirsty and your mouth, you get dry and your tongue begins to cleave to your cheeks and your, the roof of your mouth, you're thirsty. And so you seek that water And when you drink that water, you become satisfied. It's hard to express that satisfaction, but you can drink water, and then when you're full and you're satisfied, you don't don't need that water anymore. And we can drink juices and Dr. Peppers and Coca-Colas. We can drink all kinds of things, but we're really not uh, satisfied until we drink enough water that our body says, that's enough that 's enough, you have enough water in your body, and so God placed this water between thirst and satisfaction. Now, God, uh, in his word in proverbs twenty five expresses this. He said it as cold water to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country now what 's good news got to do with thirst? Well, you know there's some of us that have family that lives in other places they 're far away uh, You know, in the United States, we live far away enough away from people that it's like going to another country. Uh, And sometimes it's staying within the same state. So we have loved ones that we want to hear about. And we worry about them and we pray about them and we wonder what's going on in their life. And then when we hear from them or we get a letter from them, Then we're we're satisfied. We go, wow, that's great. I'm I'm, I'm happy. I'm, I'm not wondering about them anymore. Well, it's the same way with our thirst. He says, as cold water to a thirsty soul, when you're thirsty, you seek water, and you're going to be satisfied when you take enough water in. So God placed water between that thirst, that feeling of thirst, and satisfaction in your life. It's very important. Water is important in our everyday life. Notice that water, God put it between filth and, and cleanliness. Filth and cleanliness. Water is the, the number one most used agent to clean in the world. It doesn't matter what country you go to. Now, there are some, I'll just tell you, there are some filthy countries and filthy people in those countries, but they will use water to clean. Clean their food, clean their clothes. <clears> they <throat> go to Africa, to Nigeria, and they get in the river and they bathe themselves in, in the river. And they take their clothes and they wash their clothes in that same river. And they take their buckets and their jars and they gather that same water and they take it. But they use water to clean with. We use the the same water. We use water to clean. The things that we we have, our hands, we tell our children, go wash your hands, right? Because it's it's between filthiness and cleanliness. We want their hands clean. Wash your face off. Get the dirt off your face. The child goes in the bathroom, comes back out and still has the dirt on their face. And mama knows they didn't use water, right? They didn't wash their face. And so water is between cleanliness and filth. Water is between dirty dishes and clean dishes. Now then, we have church dinners occasionally. We use those styrofoam plates, and we don't have to wash those. But I do notice that people will eat their dinner, and then they'll throw a plate away, and they'll go get another one for dessert. Do you know why they do that? Because all of a sudden, the food plate is dirty. (laughs) And we don't want it to mix with our dessert. And we do that at home. How many of us would take a plate and just put it and eat our dinner and put it in the sink and then we go to that sink and we just go get that same dish out and eat the next meal on it without washing it? None of us. Water is essential to cleanliness. It cleans our cars. It cleans our clothes. We use water to clean. It is between filth and cleanliness. And it is the number one element that God has given to us to help us clean ourselves and clean our cars and our homes and, and stands between uh, us and this filth that we want to, uh, to get away from. But you know, in, in another sense, water stands between sin and life. And if you remember the story of Noah and the ark and how God looked down upon the world and the world was wicked, Continually, Their thoughts were evil. And the Bible says that it repented God that he had made man. It, re- it grieved him at his heart. He was, he was sorry that he had even made man. They can't even do what's right. All they think about is evil continually. And God, it says it grieved him at his heart. It, it was more than just a d- disappointment. It was a grief to him. It was a pain to him. And he looks down and he sees this, uh, this man, Noah, as he begins to, or tries to serve God. And it says he was perfect in his generation. He was a just man. He's trying. And God says, I'm going to give him grace. And so he gives him instructions to build this boat. And God says, I'm going to destroy the earth with a flood. I'm going to destroy the earth with a flood. And in Genesis chapter 7, beginning in verse twenty. It says, 15 cubits upward did the waters prevail, and the mountains were covered, and all flesh died that moved upon the earth, both of fowl and of cattle and of beasts and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth, and every man, and in all whose nostrils was the breath of life, of all that was. In the dry land died. And every living substance was destroyed. Which was upon the face of the ground. Both man and cattle. And the creeping things. And the fowl of the heaven. And they were destroyed from the earth. And Noah only remained alive. And they that were with him in the ark. Now the world was full of sin. Iniquity. Evil. And water separated those who lived from the sin of the world. That's what God chose to use to wash the face of the earth off. And water stood between sin and life. Those that were alive were in the ark. Those that died were in the water. The water was used by God to stand between life and sin. And God uses water all through the Bible to do his will He put water between bondage and freedom. As Moses and the children of Israel left the land of Egypt, they were slaves for over 400 years in the land of Egypt. And they were freed from that bondage by God and his acts, brought to the Pharaoh by Moses. And they marched out of that land a free people. And they went to the edge of the, the, the Red Sea. And there they were trapped. And Pharaoh changed his mind. And Can you imagine having slaves and servants and all of these people that you were a master over for 400 years doing your will and your bidding? And now you can't find anyone that can do it because you let them all go. And so Pharaoh changes his mind. And he goes to recapture his slaves and bring them back to Egypt. And even the people of God at some point decided, well, you know, maybe that would be better. Maybe that'd be better we go back and be slaves instead of die out here in the wilderness. And God told Moses to part the Red Sea. And by the power of God, the Red Sea was parted and the children of Israel walked across on dry land. Now notice what God did. And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to his strength when the morning appeared, and the Egyptians fled against it. And the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea, and the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and the host of the Pharaoh that came into the sea after them, and there remained not so much as one of them. But the children of Israel walked upon dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand, and the... On their left, and the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. What kept the children of Israel from being slaves again? God put water between them. The water that destroyed the Egyptians, the Red Sea that had always been there since God created it. The children of Israel walked across on dry land. He parted that sea. And then when they got through and the Egyptians were after them, God closed that water and killed the Egyptians. Water stood between bondage and freedom. By the power of God. By the power of God. And he used that water and saved Israel with water. Water comes between sin and sanctification. God placed that water between that. As Moses and the children of Israel went into the promised land and began to receive instruction from God on setting up the tabernacle worship, God made a point to sanctify the priests that were in the temple. And God used water to do that. And He gave them instructions. And He said, I want you to set up a laver. Now, that's not a word we use a lot, but a laver is basically a big washing tub. It was of bronze, and it was to be for the priest to wash their hands and their feet. It was to sanctify them. Now, the word sanctification means to set them apart. That's what sanctify means. You're set apart, you're recognized in a different way. And this laver and this washing was for. Sanctification, and it stood between the sins of the priest and the their sanctification before God. In Exodus thirty, it says, "Thou shalt also make a laver of brass, and his foot also of brass to wash withal. And thou shalt put it between the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar. And thou shalt put water therein, for Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet thereat when they go into the tabernacle of the congregation. They shall wash." with water that they die not. Or when they come near to the altar to minister to burn offering made by fire unto the Lord, so they shall wash their hands and their feet that they die not. And it shall be a statute for them forever, even to him and to his seed throughout their generations. Now this one's interesting to me because here are these priests. They were set apart as Levites or a, a Particular people to serve God in the the temple and the tabernacle. And yet, God says, before you can go into this tent and do your service to God, you must wash your hands and your feet. Before you can put a burnt offering on the altar, you must wash your hands and your feet. Now, this wasn't just because their hands were dirty. God said they needed to do it lest they die. Lest they die. So God placed this water between their service to him in the tabernacle. And they're offering their sacrifices. And they said, you need to be sanctified or set apart. And you do this by washing. You wash your hands and your feet. And then you come before God and you can serve him in the tabernacle. You wash your hands and your feet. Then you can offer this offering to God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, it's no different today. As priests in the kingdom of God, we cannot offer a sacrifice to God that's acceptable to Him unless we're sanctified, unless we're set apart by water in obedience to the gospel. It's not acceptable to God. God put water between sickness and health if you'll remember the story of name of the leper, a, a captain in the Syrian army, and he caught leprosy. And he had his servant girl ask her about, uh, he had her, and she said, well, I know a man of God that, that can help you. And so they went to Elisha, the prophet of God. And he took all this gold and all this clothing and to pay the man of God for this healing, And Elisha sent out a letter and said, you just go dip in the river Jordan seven times and you'll be clean. And Naaman was mad. He was upset because he had brought all this wealth to pay this man. And he thought, you know, at least there could be some kind of ceremony about it. Something that could really make me feel better about it. Instead, I get this little note that says, go dip in the River Jordan, and it's dirty. It's a nasty river, and the rivers I came from are a whole lot cleaner. I could have just done that back there. I'm going to tell you something about this River Jordan. Everybody bathed in it. We're not talking just a group of people, but everybody that lived close to it, within several miles, that's where they bathed. That's where they washed their clothes. That's what they drank out of. You know, everybody talks about don't drink downstream from a ca- you know, a cattle ranch or something like that. But here was a river that people used. It was nasty. And here was the man of God that said, "You just go dip in it." And here was a man that has leprosy. It's going to kill him. It's a a deadly disease. And he's going, you want me to go into that nasty river where everybody, and I'm sure there were other leopards that did it. Other lepers that went and bathed in there to relieve the pain of their disease. And he says, you want me to go do that? The Bible tells us that when he did it, when he went down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. You see, it wasn't the water that did it. It was the obedience to God. In all of these cases that we have looked at today, it wasn't the water. There was no miraculous ingredient in that water. But it was their obedience or disobedience from God that made the difference. And God used water as that medium to do it. In John chapter 9, there was a blind man who was blind from birth. And the Pharisees questioned Jesus about, well, did this man, did this man sin in his life to cause it? Or did his parents sin to cause his blindness And Jesus taught them that it wasn't about who committed sin that made him blind. And the passage says that Jesus made clay out of spittle. That he reached down and got this dirt and he spit and he made this paste and he put it on the man's eyes. Now to me, that's amazing. Here was God in the flesh that touched this man's blindness. But he was still blind. Even after Jesus touched his eyes. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the fiddle. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with with clay. And he said unto him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. And he went his way therefore and washed and came seeing. Now Jesus touched his eyes. You know, there were instances where there was a woman with an issue of blood, and she just touched the hem of his garment, and she was healed. But here was Jesus who touched this man's eyes. Not only that, he spit and made this clay and put it on his eyes. You would think this man could see by then. But you see, God had other plans. He said, you go wash in the pool of Siloam. Let me tell you about the pool of Siloam. It was a pool where fresh water came into the city. It had existed for hundreds and hundreds of years. And people would go and draw water to drink from this this pool. And it said, if you read in history some, that it was kind of a social place where people would go and gather every day. They would go to get their water and and you'd see your neighbors there and you'd, you'd talk and you'd gossip and you'd... See how the family was doing, and it was a gathering place where people went every day and drew water to drink. The same water that healed this blind man, people were drinking every day. But yet many were not healed of their diseases. You see, God used water between this blindness and sight. But it was a matter of obedience. Until this man went and washed in this pool of Siloam, he would have been blind. Even though Jesus had touched his eyes because it's obedience. And God just happened to use water between his blindness and his sight. As we think about baptism today, we look at this pool of water up here. And and people are amazed. Young kids will go, I want to see, I want to see. And sometimes... You come up here and they want to see into that water. It's like there's something magical about it. But kind of like the pool of Siloam, this water that we see in this pool came from the same pipe that the water from the water fountains came from. Same pipe, same water plant, same city. It's the same water. The difference in this water and that water, that water will save your physical life by drinking it. This one will save your soul eternally by obeying God, being dipped in it. And that's the difference. Our faith in Christ's commandments. You see, God put water between sin and salvation. Everybody wants to be saved. Everybody desires to see God. Everybody wants to go to heaven when people die, oh, they're in heaven. I've never heard anyone say that that person's gone to hell. Well, I take that back. I heard one person say that. She was an ex-wife, ex-wife of a guy. She said that at his funeral. But of all the people, all the people that die, they're gone to heaven. You see, we all want that, don't we? We all want salvation. We all want to be in the presence of God. But I'm going to tell you something. God put water between your sin and your eternal salvation. He put water between it. Matthew 28, verse 18, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given to me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Now then, I want us to notice that Jesus said he had all power in heaven and earth. All power. The Father has relinquished to him, uh, to Jesus Christ, his authority. He said, whatever you do, whatever you want, you got it. You see, Jesus possesses all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And so Jesus said, I have all power in heaven and in earth. The people that we trust in this life, as we ask for their advice, there are a lot of people with PhDs and education, and they'll say, well, you don't have to be baptized to be saved. But the one, the Christ, who has all power in heaven and in earth said, you do. He said, you go preach the gospel to all nations and those that believe, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And then you teach them to observe everything that I have commanded you. This wasn't just a man that said this. It wasn't just a prophet, but it's the one who had all authority in heaven and in earth said this. And he put water between sin and salvation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Those disciples that Jesus left that instruction to did that very thing. And on the day of Pentecost, we read in Acts chapter 2, as the gospel was preached to the Jews on that day, how Jesus had died, was buried, and rose again the third day, and that they had crucified him they were guilty of his crucifixion. It says, now when they heard this, they were pricked in the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? What are we going to do? We kill the Son of God. What are we going to do about it? And he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the remission of your sin, the remitting of the sin that you have committed you need to be baptized. You need to repent. That means change your mind. They didn't believe Jesus was the Son of God. Then they crucified him, and now they believe. What are we going to do? And he said, you got to repent. you got to change your mind about your attitude and what you did. you got to turn from the way you lived, and now you need to live for Jesus. And you need to be baptized for the remission of those sins, the remitting of it. See, God put water between your sins and your salvation, and that's baptism. To be buried with him in baptism for the remitting of your sins in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, what does that mean? Well, Jesus has all authority in heaven and in earth. And when we do something in someone's name, we do it in their authority, by their authority. So we're being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. We're being baptized by the authority of Jesus Christ. Jesus said to do that. And we're obeying his word. We're doing it in his authority, in his name, by his commandment. In Acts 22, as Saul of Tarsus became uh, Paul the Apostle, Ananias told him that day that he came into the city. He said, Now, why terriest thou arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now, baptism stands between man's sin and his salvation. And Ananias told him, What are you waiting on? You need to be baptized for the washing away of your sins, the remitting of your sin, the remission of your sins, the forgiveness of your sins. What is it about baptism? It's the point of our faith meeting God. It's the trust in God. It's not the water. I used to think people had, you know, we would talk about rabies, and people would say, well, you know, the number one deal about rabies is hydrophobia. You're scared of water. I remember the first dog I ever had one day. I went outside, and he foaming at the mouth, and... And I was a kid, probably six or seven, I jumped up on the air conditioner because I thought, he's got rabies. I put the water bowl over there and he wouldn't drink it. I Yep, he's got rabies. He just happened to eat a frog, so it wasn't rabies. But, <laughs> but I was testing him out with a hydrophobia, you know, he's afraid of water. And sometimes I think people have high, spiritual hydrophobia. They're afraid of water. You know what? Every one of us take a bath. Some may not as often as the others, but most of us do. So we're not afraid of water. What are we afraid of? We're afraid of submitting ourselves to God, and that's what it's about. The point of our complete submission to God's will, when we trust God enough that we'll do it, that we'll put our faith in his commandment. In Psalms chapter nine, verse 10, it says, they, they that they that know thy name will put their trust in thee, for thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. You wanna seek the Lord? Put your trust in him. You know his name? His name's Jesus. And he has all power in heaven and earth. And he said when you're baptized for the remission of your sins, When you completely submit your will to his in this act of obedience, then he'll take away your sin. But until that point, water stands between your sin and your salvation. In Colossians chapter 2 and beginning in verse 10, it says, And you are complete in him which is the head of all principality and power. In whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now, notice as we begin this passage, it's talking about Jesus, all authority in heaven and in earth. You're complete in Him. There, when, once you're in Christ, you're complete, your sins are forgiven. You have the things that you need to live a godly life. You're complete in him which is the head of all principality and power. That's Jesus. But notice in whom also you're circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. In the Old Testament there was a circumcision made with hands. They cut off the fleshly part of the body as a symbol or a sign that you're a child of God. In the spiritual sense, or in the circumcision of Christ, made not with hands, it's cutting off the old man, the old person. When we're buried with him in Christ, we, we put the old one away. That's the circumcision of Christ. Well, how do we do that? Well, it says we're buried with him in baptism. That's how we do that. That's when that takes place. That circumcision of Christ, not made with hands, but made in the heart By Jesus Christ. It happens when we're baptized. Wherein, this baptism, wherein, also you're risen with him through faith in the operation of God. Now, there are a lot of talk about faith in the world today. You just need to have faith. Well, where does our faith meet God? It says wherein, wherein, the baptism, wherein you're risen with him through faith in the operation of God. That's when you put your trust in him you know his name's Jesus you seek him you trust him and it's in this baptism that you're risen with him through this faith in the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him having forgiven you all trespass so within baptism this all takes place your faith meets God Within baptism, your faith meets God and you're raised with Jesus Christ through this faith in the operation of God, that operation that God will create in you a new heart, that he will forgive you of your sins as he says, make you alive, quicken you together with him and forgive your trespasses. Now someone says, well, Craig, you don't have to be baptized to to be saved. Well... The Christ, who has all power in heaven and earth, said you do. He said it's at that point your faith meets God. It's at that point he makes you alive. It's at that point he raises you again with Christ. It's at that point your sins are forgiven. It's the point in which your faith comes together with God. Baptism stands between your sin and your salvation. In Galatians 3, it says, For you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. This baptism or water baptism, obedience by faith to Christ's commandment, says that when we do that, we put on Christ. Well, what does that necessarily infer? That necessarily infers that if we're not baptized, we don't have Christ. Because he said, when we do this, we have put him on. We are wearing him. In 1 Peter 3, verse 20 and 21, it says, which were sometime disobedient when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. Here it says, these souls were saved by water. Do you're, you mean we're talking water salvation? No, we're talking faith salvation. That's what we're teaching. Faith salvation. When you're obedient to God in baptism, your faith saves you. That's the point that your sin has been taken away, and Christ meets you in that grave, that watery grave of baptism. Notice it says, The like figure, even whereunto, even baptism, also now saves us. It's not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God. So this tells us what it really is. What is baptism? It's the answer of a good conscience towards God. It's when God, the Lord Jesus, says, be buried with me in baptism. And the good conscience says, yes, Lord, I'll do that. I will submit to that, and you will be my Lord. It's not the putting away of the filth of your flesh, not taking a bath, but it's the answer of a good conscience toward God by his resurrection, where he was proved to be the Son of God with power by his resurrection. This morning, if you're subject to the gospel call, Jesus is calling you. He says when we're baptized, we, we need to be baptized, calling upon the, on his name. You know, when we call upon his name, calling on the Lord Jesus, what that means is when we're in need, we call somebody, don't we? If I have a problem that I need taken care of and I can't deal with it myself, I call someone. I call upon their name. I say, please help me. Fulfill this for me. You can't save yourself this morning. But you can be buried with him in baptism and call upon the name of Jesus Christ and he will save you as we stand and sing the song that's been selected.